following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, let's open them up. Open them up to Matthew chapter 18. Okay, Kathy just read Matthew 18 over us, but we are going to study this text. So I'd love for you to see this with your own eyes. Matthew 18, uh, there are hardback black Bibles under every chair. You can open up one of those and take it with you if you'd like. If you need a Bible, uh, that's page 823 in those Bibles. We don't really put verses on screens here at Fathom, so I, I, like, I need you to see this, okay? I might lie to you. Just fair warning, I might lie to you, but the, but the book won't, okay? So that's why we want to root ourselves in the Word of God. So Matthew 18, uh, welcome to week one of our two-week mini-series on church discipline. Church discipline, we're calling it the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And uh, last week was hell week, right? We preached on hell last week, and this week it's maybe you're going to go there week. No, that's not, that's not, that's not right, okay? <laughs> No, that's not right. But again, this is, this is how we're starting our fall off. This is, a, this is a strange start to kind of like a kickoff. Normally it's like, hey, we should do something on relationships or something on love. Or, and, and we're talking about hell and discipline. And so, um, so that's okay. Like good times abound here at Fathom Church. Uh, last week, though, I did apologize because there was CCU students right here. Who's here? CCU. There's our college students uh, representing CCU class of 06. How many of you were born in 06? A few of you. Okay, so, yeah. All right, all right. Um, that's, that's more of an age joke, but... Uh Hey, so I apologized last week to some of the college students about, um, like, hey, sorry for the chipper subject. You know, welcome to a new church. We're talking about hell. And, and multiple CCU students had said to me this week, they're like, bro, bring it on. Like, we're looking for the real deal. Like, we're looking for the heavy stuff. We want it. And so it's like, gloves off, let's do it. Church discipline, okay? Now, um, to cover this topic, to cover the, the, the topic of church discipline, uh, we have to start with def- definitions. And the, and the first word that we need to cover is church. In church discipline, we need to know, before we can really dialogue about this, we need to know what the church is to understand church. Now, uh, I actually think this is an, an extremely relevant topic, for us to discuss because in, in a survey I read, one survey said that 81% of Americans answered yes to this question. Do you believe you can be a very good Christian without attending a church? 81% said yes to that. Yes, I can be a very good Christian without attending a church. Uh, this is, there's this decided move away from the church in the West, okay? It does not bode well for my career choice. Some of you CCU students, you're in trouble, right? Job market is crashing on this end, okay? But, but some of that, some of the reason behind that is, is that there have been people who've had really bad church experiences, some bad church experiences. One famous pastor on Facebook a few years ago asked this question of his following or whatever. He says, has anybody ever had a bad church experience? And he had more than 3,000 comments on that one post. Here are some of my favorites, okay? Um, a guy named Ryan, or a guy named Ryan said this, our church leaders believed that wearing blue jeans gave the impression of rebellion, because nothing says rebellion like blue jeans, right? Um, he, he went on. He said, here was their mindset. In the 60s, hippies started wearing jeans. 
Now we have terrorism, cause and effect. I I mean, how do you not agree with that logic, right? So that's one. Okay, another church, uh, this guy, he brought his girlfriend with him to service, and an usher approached them and said, ma'am, women aren't supposed to wear pants here. To which she grabbed her belt loops and, you know, and he's like, no, 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 right? But insinuating that you're supposed to wear a dress, the dress code, okay? I mean, that's, that's old school, right? Um, another comment from a woman uh, said this, at my youth group, we were not allowed to wear black polo shirts. Any other color was fine, but black meant that you loved the devil. That doesn't even make sense. Right, And then this one's maybe my favorite one. Uh, a gal named Rachel, she, she said, I grew up in a church that wouldn't let boys and girls swim together because the girls could get pregnant. <laughs> Yo, that's not how that works. <laughs> I did youth ministry long enough to know it could lead to it, but it's not how that works, Okay. So many of us have bad church experiences, and some are silly like that, but, but if we're honest, there's others that are much more serious. Some of you were at a place where all of a sudden the pastor was like a dictator, like a king, and just overshadowed everything. Maybe some of you have been at places where there's a war, a seemingly political war being waged between factions of people in back rooms that is spilling out over into your church experience. Man, some of you maybe come from places where, where you personally have been shunned or have been sinned against or have been abused. I mean, there's heavy church wounds as well. Many of us may have these, but I want to posit that the reactionary tendency to run from the church and to put up barriers and to es- essentially press eject on the local church is not the right reaction. It is the biblical understanding of the New Testament that that you belong to and are involved in and are committed to a local church, a local congregation. I could show you that in the text. We don't have to go there today, but, but it is biblical to belong to a church. We can't talk about church discipline without first really engaging the idea of committing relationally to a local church. This is normally done via church membership. And and really next week, we're going to dig more into kind of what formally this looks like. But for today, I just think we need to start with this idea that biblically, if you follow Christ, you are saved, not just from something, but you are saved into something. You are saved into a people, a community. And those people are the local church. So I'll put it like this. This is how we say it at Fathom. Church isn't a place you go to. It's a people you belong to. It's not just a place. This isn't church. Okay? Gathering, me talking, you know, sweating all over the place. Like, that's not church. We are church. We are the church, okay? It's a committed relationship to others that says this. I'm not going to run from this relationship for shallow or superfluous reasons. I'm in. I'm in. So that's church, okay? That's church. Let's, though, let's talk discipline, okay? What is church discipline? Discipline. Well, um, really, everything that a church does is discipline, Okay, everything that a church does discipline is discipline. Okay, the word discipline is connected to the word disciple. Discipline, disciple. They're 
similar, okay? And, and so the job of a disciple is to either discipline themselves or to be disciplined in something. And in the field of academics, you might ask somebody, hey, what's, what's your discipline? What's your discipline? And that means, like, what's your field of specialty? What's your field of study, okay? So everything a church does is discipline. It's meant to help people be discipled in the discipline of Jesus Christ. It's meant for that. And now historically, the church has, has kind of designated discipline into two different forms, okay? Uh, formative discipline and corrective or reformative discipline. I want to work through these. This is fun. You having fun yet? I'm having fun, okay? Formative discipline. Formative discipline is helping a disciple grow via instruction, okay? Most of what we do in the church is formative discipline, it's what we're doing right now. This sermon is formative discipline. Bible studies and discipleship groups and kids' Sunday school and our youth group, these are all examples of formative discipline, okay? So uh, imagine like a math class. You go to school, you go to a math class. Uh, part of the job of the teacher is to explain and to instruct and to model and to give examples of, basically to teach the students the math, right? Algebra or trig or calc or something. They're teaching math. That's formative discipline. And it comes in the form of lessons and examples and that sort of thing. But that's not all a math teacher does, at least a good one. Like a good math teacher doesn't just stand up there and just talk and talk and talk. This is also to be a good math teacher is to have an aspect of correction. And so you wander around and you watch a student do his work. And it's not a good math teacher doesn't like watch you do two plus two equals 22 and be like, that's close enough. No, you correct. You correct. You, you instruct and you correct with quizzes and tests and all of that. And that's what we call corrective or reformative discipline. So there's formative and then there's reformative discipline. And this reformative or corrective discipline is what most people think of when we talk about the subject of church discipline, okay? Reformative discipline helps correct a disciple of Jesus through correcting sin. It's correcting sin in the life of a follower of Jesus. And this is practiced both individually and at a corporate church-wide level, okay? In, in the context of a committed church relationship, we've already said that, you're committed to a church, you're committed to a body. In that context, it's one member or a group of members lovingly calling out another member for sin. That's church discipline. Now, the most well-known uh, passage in the New Testament uh, dealing with this practice is Matthew 18, which was read over us this morning. I would like for us to unpack that. So let's now pick up our Bibles and look at Matthew chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 15. We're going to go verse by verse in this. Okay, so verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Okay. I'm gonna make some points about church discipline this morning. And, and my first point this morning will feel a bit redundant, but I don't want you to miss it. And it's this church discipline begins in relationship. It begins in relationship. The text just said that if your brother sins, that can be translated brother and sister or sister, right? Um, 
If your brother or sister sins, you have gained your brother or sister. The the idea here is that you are in relationship with this person. These are relational, familial words, all right? You're in relationship with this brother or sister. You love this person, all right? This isn't a person on the internet, okay? This isn't a person that you've just heard of. This isn't even really like an acquaintance, like a Facebook friend or something, This is somebody that you are in a loving church relationship with. This is why church discipline is predicated on you being meaningfully connected to a church body. Okay, you love this person. That's like a prereq for church discipline. The point is that there is a relationship between the two. Now, the, the, the interesting thing was we need, to, we need to understand the context of this because we can pull this Matthew 18 section out of context. So look right before what happens here in Matthew 18 verses 15 and following. Right before that is a parable and it's called the parable of the lost sheep. Now, I'm not going to read that parable, but here, let me just tell you what it says. It says there's a man who has 100 sheep and 99 of them are cool, great sheep, okay? But one goes astray. One sheep wanders astray. And what happens is when that sheep comes back, the man rejoices because the lost sheep has returned. The one, he, he, he neglects almost the 99 for the sake of the one. And then right on the heels of that parable, talking about the lost sheep who the master rejoices in its return. Right on the heels of that, Jesus says, here's how you handle when somebody that you love, a brother or a sister, goes astray. Okay, begins to wander, gets lost, as it were. So this begins in relationship, y'all. Church discipline must begin in relationship. And what's step one? Well, the step one here is you go and you talk to them. Don't text them. Right? Don't send them a DM. Slip one in there, right? It's face to face. You talk to this human being. Why? You have a conversation because you love them. This is a family member. You're you're supposed to have that kind of intimate relationship where you would go and you would have this kind of Conflict resolution with them. This is how reformative church discipline should most often occur in church life. It should be one believer and one believer and them going to each other and working this stuff out. This is how it should primarily occur. It should most often occur informally and privately, one-on-one to address that matter, okay? Now, let me just say, here's what this is not, okay? Number one, church discipline is not ignoring sin, it's not ignoring sin, okay? Because in our culture, we are conflict averse. We just want to sweep things under the rug. We want to ignore things. We want to do anything possible not to engage with somebody that, in the conversation that might ruffle feathers, right? That might stir something up. But I'm, I just want to put out there, it's not loving to ignore somebody's sin. That's not loving. That is not a loving thing to do, Okay, it is not kind or merciful or gracious to let somebody who is in sin believe that everything's okay. Because everything's not okay. We lovingly want to help one another grow in Christ's likeness by correcting sin. So it's not ignoring it, okay? It's not ignoring it. But number two, it's not gossiping about it. The temptation, the great temptation is to, hey, did you hear what she's doing? You kidding me? 
Gossip. It starts with one-to-one. Jesus says, just one-on-one. Let's start there. Only if that conversation doesn't move forward do we consider bringing anybody else in. Okay, but it starts one-to-one. Anything else is gossip. Okay, and hear me. Gossip is a sin. And that sin needs to be repented of and probably disciplined, okay? So you're... In, in pointing out somebody else's sin to somebody who it's not their sin without first having that one-on-one conversation, you're sinning. You see the irony there? So it's not, it's not gossiping. Thirdly, this is not judging. Okay, people love to point to Matthew uh, chapter seven, you know, or uh, the Sermon on the Mount where it's like, you know, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge me, bro, right? Like that's, we don't want to be judgmental. But this is not supposed to be judging, okay? Like in Matthew 7, 3, Jesus says this. Why why do you see the little speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Right? This is not that. Okay, church discipline, it does require a certain level of self-awareness. You got to know your logs. You got a big face log hanging out there. You got to know about that. Or otherwise, you're going to hit somebody with that while you're trying to take that speck out of their face. But, but, but remember the context. This is a stray sheep. This is a sheep that has gone astray. This is a friend, somebody that you love who has lost their way. You're not out there sin hunting. You're like perched up with a sni- sin sniper rifle trying to take people out. This is meant to be loving. So you in a loving church relationship confront a fault of a brother or a sister. And the text says, if they listen, if they hear you, you've gained them back. Just like that lost sheep, you rejoice because you've gained them back. The sheep has returned. And it's my second point about church discipline this morning. It's this church discipline's purpose is redemptive. It begins in relationships but its purpose is redemptive. The goal isn't to cut someone down. The goal isn't to judge someone or to make yourself feel good, like you've got it all together, like you're the super Christian and they're just the mess. The goal is not that. It's it's redemptive, it's restorative, it's repentance. That's the goal. So I I, I, uh, poked on uh, Leslie last week. Okay, Leslie was a fictitious character last week, and sorry if your name is Leslie, but I'm going to pick on you again, okay? Um, Leslie, okay, I, uh, here, let's use Leslie as a fictitious example here. If Leslie says to us, hey, I'm a believer in Christ, and I am a member of Fathom Church, but then she starts doing things that go against what the Bible says or what God commands, Well, this text says that we go one-on-one. You go one-on-one and you say, Leslie, I love you. Leslie, I love you, but what you're doing is out of step with the gospel. What you're doing is not the way that God would want you to act and to live. And that's done in the hopes that Leslie might repent. It's redemptive. It's meant to bring her back into right relationship with God. That's the whole purpose. Now, as I've already said, this should cover, just this one-to-one, this should cover a multitude of church discipline. This should be most of our church discipline experience as a church. It's brother to brother. It's sister to sister. It begins in this relationship, and its purpose is redemptive, okay? But then Matthew, he goes on to kind of extrapolate what happens when that one-to-one doesn't go so hot. 
Let's look at verse 16. Matthew 18, 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Okay. So the private conversation didn't go so hot. If that happens, then uh, Jesus says the next step is to bring in others from the community. Okay, now again, this is not, you blast them on Facebook now. This is not, okay, you go to your small group and you start gossiping with them about this person. It's, it's, it's also not that you go to some outside group of friends that don't go to the church and you start kind of milling it with them. As in the private conversation, the purpose of the second stage is primarily redemptive. You're not trying to get them for not listening to you. It's still redemptive. The goal is to reconcile the sinner with the one that they hurt and to bring them ultimately back to God. Now, in the text, they take one or two others, and it should be from the community, okay? They should be involved as well in this individual's life. They should be part of this community. They, they should be loving of this person. They should be desirous for this redemption, this repentance to occur. And often, this is the right time to maybe bring in a leader, from, from your church into this equation. Maybe it's a small group leader. Maybe it's a Bible study leader. Maybe it's a staff member. Maybe it's an elder. But this is kind of upping the ante. This is saying the first conversation didn't go well, so I'm, I'm bringing a couple more. This isn't I'm going to ca- tell everybody. I'm going to broadcast about it to everybody. It's I'm going to bring a couple more to have this still private conversation. And Matthew's drawing on language from Deuteronomy when he says two to three witnesses. Deuteronomy 19 talks about um, making sure that, that the people of God carefully weigh the evidence of an individual's sin. Okay, so this isn't a place for unbased accusations. This is not like a he said, she said quarrel kind of thing going on here. This is, a, is this a valid issue? Has a valid sin really been committed here? We need to establish witnesses. So there's more procedure going on here. And then finally, verse 17, they final, uh, Jesus finalizes the process. Verse 17, he says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Okay, so this is step three. This is the intensive climax of the process. All right, they, they refuse to listen to the one-on-one conversation. They refuse to listen to the small group of loving members of the church going to them. So it's brought to the church, okay? And that means the membership. That's not like, hey, on Sunday morning with a bunch of guests and a bunch of visitors and like a de- baby dedication, we're like, hey, this, this person in our membership is sinning. No, we don't do that. We do it to the members in a small member gathering where we have that conversation. Those who have covenanted with one another in the local church have a conversation. And then they start to pursue that person, imploring them to repent, imploring them to, to confess and to repent of their sin. We're going to get more into the kind of specifics of, of kind of the church corporate discipline stuff next week. But, but the text goes on and it says, if that person refuses to listen even to the church, even to the whole family of God, just saying, begging you to repent, begging you to come back from that sin. If you are obstinate even to that, 
Jesus. These are Jesus loving words from the Messiah. He says, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Now, Matthew is not being literal right there. He's not like that guy's a Gentile. And a ta- Matthew was a tax collector. Okay, so what he's saying is you treat the unrepentant, obstinate, ongoing sinner in your midst like an unbeliever. Treat them like you would an unbeliever, a person that has not yet professed faith in Christ. So back to Leslie, okay? Leslie says this, I'm a believer in Christ. I'm a member of Fathom. We've had these conversations, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this thing, and I don't care what the Bible says or what God commands. I think you're wrong. I don't think that the Bible actually says that. I, I know it might say that, but maybe it doesn't say that. Or maybe God told me something different, and so God gave me the out. I don't have to follow this. To Leslie, we would say, based on this, we don't think you're a Christian. Now, we don't know. Only the Lord knows. We don't know. But based on what we have observed in your life, we can't treat you like we would treat a brother or a sister in Christ. We can't treat you like a member of the church when what you're doing shows us the opposite. Now, finally, that's done in the hopes, again, that she might repent. It's always with this hope of redemption, okay? So in most cases, uh, this person, even if they are uh, treated as a tax collector or a Gentile, most cases they are still welcome to attend church. In fact, there's nowhere else we'd rather them be. We want them to be in the gatherings, hearing the Bible, hearing the gospel preached to them, lovingly walking with them, but we walk with them like someone who does not believe, praying and hoping that the Lord would save them. And if they come back to the truth, listen, we welcome them with open arms and warm hearts. We rejoice, just like the man with the one sheep that comes back. We rejoice in that. Okay, now let me just make one more clarification here. Um, Church discipline like this is not for those, it's not for those who have sin in their life and who are really struggling with it, who are really wrestling with that sin, but they are repentant. Okay, that's not what this is saying. Repentance is the key to the church discipline equation. So if you're in here and you're like, oh man, I'm, I'm out because I'm sexually immoral. Like I'm gonna, I should be under church discipline because I've got some sin in my life. Or you're like, oh man, I'm out because I'm greedy. I'm just so greedy. In fact, I just stole a 20 out of this lady's purse next to me, right? Like, <laughs> guard your wallets. Some shady business. No, no, no. Verse 17 is talking about people who know the truth. They know the truth, but they're saying no. They're saying they're beyond that. They are unrepentant. They're saying, I'm the ultimate authority on right and wrong. I'm the ultimate authority on how life works. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what the elders say. I don't care what my church community says. I'm going to do what I want to do. 
So it's not people who are struggling, who are fighting, okay? And they have sin in their lives that they hate. And, 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 and God, they want God to heal them. They want to be free of this. They want God to move in them. That's not who this is for. This is not who we're talking about here. Because hear me, that should be all of us. You should hate your sin and you should fight against your sin and you should be repentant of your sin. This is for the brother or sister who is not that way at all. Now, uh, like I said, next week, we're gonna get into the corporate side of this and we'll talk about like excommunication. That's a big, scary, feels like Catholic word. We'll talk about that. All right, we'll talk about formal church discipline here at Fathom. But for the reminder, remainder of our time this morning, I'd like to, to focus in on one more point. Okay, just one last point. Because if you notice, like I pointed out the context before this passage, the context that happens right after this passage is really important too. Okay, so remember... Before this, this passage of teaching on church discipline, we have the parable of the lost sheep, okay? And, and, and then what happens right after this section in, in Matthew 18, verse 21 and 22, you have a parable of the unforgiving servant, but it begins with a really interesting question from Peter. So I'll put this one up on the screen. Uh, no, I'm not going to put it up on the screen. I lied to you. Look at your text. I told you I would lie to you. I gave you fair warning, Okay. Look at verses 21 and 22, Matthew 18, 21 and 22. This is right on the heels of this. Then Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how many, how often will my brothers sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? But Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. I think the context is really important here. I think the context of this passage, we rip this Matthew 18 passage out of context all the time. This is how we do church discipline. One-on-one, three-on-one, church, he's out, right? If you do that, that's pretty harsh, okay? But the context is really important here. The parable of the lost sheep, dealing with the love of a father for one sheep that's lost, is followed by Jesus' teaching on how to gain a brother or a sister back who you love. And then that's followed by a teaching that we should be prepared to forgive and forgive and forgive the brother who sins against us, who is repentant. He is saying when a lost brother or sister repents, and again, repentance is the key. I can't drive that home hard enough. Repentance is the key. But when a, when, when a repentant brother comes to you, the Christian response is to forgive. So this will be my third point, Okay. Church discipline's hope is reconciliation. Begins in relationship. Its goal is redemptive. And the hope is reconciliation. The hope is reconciliation. Reconciliation, yes, between the struggling sinner and the Lord, but also reconciliation between church members, between brothers and sisters, okay? We strive to forgive those who are genuinely repentant, even those who sin against us. Now, when we talk about forgiveness, we have to do just a quick minute on biblical forgiveness because there's not much worse than bad biblical forgiveness theology. A lot of people have bad forgiveness theology. So let's do this real quick, okay? Um, this is not all that needs to be said about forgiveness. I'm not talking about how you forgive an unsaved person, an unrepentant person. I'm saying if there's a repentant brother or sister who has sinned against you, this is what forgiveness is and is not, okay? First, forgiveness isn't forgetting. 
You've heard forgive and forget? That's anti-biblical. Don't believe this. Don't believe this. It's not forgetting what happened, nor is it pretending that it never happened. So when somebody has sinned against you, it's not just like, you know, and I'm not talking about like something mild, like they've done something against you that has really affected you. It's not something that you just pretend to let go. You don't just let go of the balloon and like let it float away and that's it. You're over it. Again, the whole purpose of church discipline is not ignoring sin. This isn't something we sweep under the rug. It is a big deal. Sin is a big deal. So forgiving isn't forgetting. Second, forgiveness isn't removal of consequences. That's the other side. It doesn't take away the consequences just because you repent and somebody forgives you. There's still lots of consequences. This will sometimes happen where there's been a hurt or a betrayal, okay? And, and maybe the parties are working through it. And, and, and sometimes the one who has been forgiven will say something like, well, why aren't things better then? Like, why aren't things better? Why haven't we gone back to normal? And hear me, what they expect is, that for, is, is for forgiveness to remove all the consequences of what happened. <laughs> that doesn't work in our lives. You punch somebody in the face, you get arrested for it, you're like, sorry. Maybe you really feel it. You're like, sorry. It doesn't mean you're not still going to get charged with battery. It doesn't work like that in real life. And hear me, it doesn't work like that with God either. You can forgive. Okay, we can forgive and the consequences still continue. You can. I can forgive you and I can still call the police. I can forgive you and still keep you at an arm's length relationally. I can forgive you and, and, and you still are not allowed to work with the kids at Fathom. I can forgive you and, and I will never trust you with my money again. I can, I can actually forgive you and there still be consequences, okay? That's the second thing. The third thing is this. Forgiveness is not an immediate restoration of trust. It's not an immediate restoration of trust. This is where the one who's forgiven wants things to just go back to where they were. Just go back to, can't we just go back to the way it used to be? Here's, here's the truth, okay? Forgiveness can help you start over. Okay, but it doesn't put you back to where you were. It can help you start over. But it doesn't get you back to where you were before the sin occurred. You can redevelop trust, but it's not an immediate restoration of trust. So these are kind of like, what is it not, right? What isn't forgiveness? What is it? Here's what forgiveness is. I'll put it in one sentence. Forgiveness is a decision that becomes a feeling. It's a decision that becomes a feeling. I say that because you can't always control your feelings. Right? You can't. I mean, they just are. You're like, I don't know why I feel so out of it. It's because you feel it. You can't even really trust your feelings because they just kind of come and go. And I'm not saying, like, I, I think you should have feelings. I'm glad you have feelings. I don't care as much about your feelings, but you know, listen, I, I care a little bit. You should feel things, okay? You can't control your feelings, but you can control your actions. Anybody who's ever said, well, I, you know, I just felt it and so I had to do it. No, you didn't. No, you did not. You can control your actions. 
I can't control what you did, how what you did to me deeply affected me. I can't control how I feel about what you did to me and how painful that was. But I can always control what I do in response to that. I can control what I do. And now hear me, it's amazing. But, but over time, not overnight, over time, if you make the choice to forgive, God will often, not always, but God will often change your feelings towards a person. Let me say that one again, because there's a lot of like caveats there, okay? Over time, not overnight, over time, if you make the choice to forgive, God will often, not always, but God will often change your feelings towards a person. The feeling is a caboose, okay? The engine is your choice to forgive, That's the only thing you can control. But as you control your obedience to forgive, often the feelings will follow. Okay. Now why? Why do any of this? Why forgive? Why do church discipline? We've said it's for the hope of reconciliation, but why? Why would we do this? Because we've been reconciled. Because we have been forgiven. It's kitschy, but forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people, forgive people. If you've stood at the, the, the cross of Christ and experienced his forgiveness freely given to you, if you've really experienced that, then you will strive to practice these things. You'll strive to forgive others. Those who have experienced the freedom of being freely forgiven extend forgiveness. Now, as many of you know, uh, three years ago, I found myself in a place where uh, I, I sinned against the people of this church. Many of you don't know this. Glad that there are guests here. <laughs> but uh, I've talked about it before. So three years ago, I found myself in a place where I sinned against the people of this church. There were a lot of things that led up to it, and one day I'll write a tell-all memoir that lays all those out. But not really. But... Um, but I found myself in a really dry and dark place spiritually and emotionally. And, and in, but I'm the pastor of this church. Like my, my love for Jesus and my, my love for ministry and my, my family, there's stuff in my family that was hard and there's all this stuff. And, and yet I'm the pastor. I'm the guy. I get the face mic. And so in an attempt to keep up appearances and an attempt to look good to you, an attempt to like keep all these plates spinning in ministry, I started plagiarizing portions of my sermons. And I just wanted you to think I was okay. I just wanted you to think I had what it took. And I, I just wanted you to think that I could handle this. I got this. But I didn't have it. I didn't got this. And I got called out on it. And in 2019, that began a 10-month journey of discipline for me. And it was this discipline and there was progressive, lots of repentance. I mean, Eric, we, we talked about it, lots of repentance and ultimately a lot of reconciliation, a lot of restoration and reconciliation. And, and next week, we're going to go more in depth on the church side of things when it comes to church discipline. But I do want to say a couple things as we close up that I've said before. I've said from the stage before. So to the guests, this is brand new. To everybody else, this is me plagiarizing me, okay? Um, but they're worth saying one more time. Because on the night that the elders confronted me on that sin, 
we were in an elders meeting. They confronted me. And, and I, as I'm leaving elders meeting, I called Marcy on the way home that night. And I can just vividly remember how much I didn't want to tell her. Like I can vividly remember being like, I don't want to let her know what happened. Like, is there a way to hide this? No, there's not. Oh, no. You know. As much as I care about how, my, how you think of me, I care significantly more what she thinks of me. Sorry. But I called her and I told her and I was so ashamed and I was so afraid. I just wanted to hide, but I told her and I confessed and then I told her that I didn't really want to confess to her. Like I confessed and I was like, I didn't really want to tell you that. And she asked me why. Why didn't you want to tell me? And I just said, I'm so ashamed of myself for getting here, for, for doing this. Like, I should know better. I'm the pastor. I should know better. I'm just so ashamed. And Marcy said something that I'll never forget. She says to me, Chris, you never have to be ashamed to tell me anything. Why do we practice church discipline? Because we're in relationship with our church covenantal relationships because we need redemption through repentance, each one of us because we need reconciliation to God and to one another because whenever a disciple departs from the way of Christ by sinning let me, wait, whenever I the pastor departs from the way of Christ by sinning I need somewhere and I need someone to love me enough to help Like, I need a place where I don't have to be ashamed to tell anything. I'll put it up like this. Reformative discipline happens when guilt collides with grace. Reformative discipline happens when your guilt, you are guilty. And you might be ashamed and you might want to hide and you might be afraid, but it's when that guilt comes crashing into the grace. The grace of Jesus, yes. But the grace of people. The grace I experienced from Marcy that night, the grace that I experienced from you, my church, in light of my guilt, in light of my confession, I am guilty. That immeasurable grace that I experienced from people and from Jesus. It's what church needs to be about. Church needs to be about this kind of stuff. So I'll say it to you, church. You don't have to be ashamed to tell us anything. It's okay not to be okay. It's not okay to stay there. But it's okay. You don't have to pretend to be all right here. Can you hear me on that? You don't have to pretend to be okay. I wasn't okay. (laughs) Because nobody's going to know how to encourage you And you could be dying on the inside if you're pretending. If you're not all right, the worst thing that you can possibly do is pretend that you are okay. This is church discipline. It's church discipline. May the Holy Spirit of God empower us to live this out, my friends. Let's pray together. Father, we bless you. We thank you for this passage for Matthew chapter 18, 
for all the other verses and all the other texts in the New Testament that talk about the seriousness of sin and the, the call to community to help restore people who are in sin. Lord, I pray that, that Fathom Church is a, is a place where we practice this, where the one-to-one conversations happen amidst brothers and sisters in love where repentance is something that is both demonstrated and celebrated. But Lord, for your glory, Lord, for, for the, the, the sake of your church, where unrepentance is not overlooked, it's not swept under the rug, it's not something that we pretend doesn't exist, but Lord, that it's handled biblically. I want to pray that our church community would would be refined through the process of reformative church discipline. Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, empower us to do this. Give us brave hearts to confess, to repent. If there's hidden sin, Lord, I do pray over uh, each individual here that they would, they would confess those things, they would repent of those things, and that they would find a place here at Fathom that, that they don't have to be afraid to tell us anything but then we can journey together towards restoration. Lord, if this is that community for me, I pray that is the same for my brothers and sisters in Christ here. Lord, thank you for the gift that is church discipline. Thank you that you discipline those who you love. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.